welcome to the Start Me Up podcast. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and today I'm going to be talking with attorney Gloria Allred. She's one of the top women's rights attorneys in the country. For 43 years, her practice has been one of the leading private women's rights law firms, and this Saturday she'll be inducted in the National Women's Hall of Fame. We're going to be talking about feminism, where the rights of American women stand today in the era of Trump, and where they're headed. Then we're going to discuss the Equal Rights Amendment. I'm also going to ask her about the story in the New York Times that alleges that she silenced one of Mr. Weinstein's victims, Harvey Weinstein. So we have a lot to talk about. But before we get going, I want to remind everybody that Start Me Up is listener supported. And I rely on you, people like you who are listening to free shows, to come back and support the show. Um, I don't have any corporate backing. I do all the production myself. And I don't even have any advertisers right now. So I, I ask that maybe you just consider supporting the show, becoming a patron for a dollar a month, $2 a month, $3 a month. For $5 a month, you get access to two extra bonus shows, the End Another Thing segment, and that's just for listeners. We have all kinds of things that we talk about. Sometimes it's fun and sex, and sometimes it's sad, and sometimes we cry. It's often personal. It's always interesting. I hope you'll consider signing up. Uh, just visit patreon.com slash startmeup and sign up today. Now, please enjoy my interview with Gloria Allred. Welcome, Gloria. Thank you so much for inviting me, Kimberly. Well, thank you for coming on the show, and congratulations on being inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. The National Women's Hall of Fame. National Women's uh, Hall of Fame. Is, is an extremely important uh, group. I'm honored to have been um, suggested by a member of the public, or more than one member, I'm not sure. And then there's a panel of judges that uh, decides from those who the public nominates um, who should be selected for the National Women's Hall of Fame. And, um, and I'm honored to be inducted on Saturday um, in New York, along with United States Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor yeah. and Jane Fonda and Dr. Angela Davis and Diane Furstenberg, just to name a few. Such an amazing group of women. It's just yes, that that's awesome. such an honor. And again, congratulations. Um, I want to well, talk. You. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I want to talk to you today uh, about women in the era of Trump and, you know, where we are, where we're going um, and a little bit about the Equal Rights Amendment, because I uh, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for that. And I know that you um, were just on Alyssa Milano show. Um, so. Mm -hmm. I'm yes. kind of friendly with her, and, uh, and I, I have worked with okay. her on the Equal Rights Amendment, so that's something we have in common. Um, and then, let's see, uh, then I need to address uh, the New York Times article that just came out. So I'm going to do that right now. We'll get that out of the way. And then, um, basically, the article that came out on September 8th in the New York Times is called Previously Unknown Sources Come Forward in a New Book about Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. That book is titled She Said, Breaking the Sexual Harassment Story that Helped Ignite a Movement. So I'm just going to read a quote from that article. Uh, the, ar the attorney Gloria Allred is one of the most vocal crusaders against sexual harassment and assault. Privately, her firm helped negotiate a settlement that muffled one of Mr. Weinstein's victims in 2004, taking a 40% cut. So I just have to ask, is this true? Well, we are the leading women's rights law firm in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the 43 years we've been practicing law, we've represented thousands of victims of rape and sexual assault, and sexual harassment. And Kimberly, women do not choose to be sexually assaulted or mm -hmm. raped. And when that occurs, their choice to be free of sexual violence is taken away from them 
by the sexual predator. Now, we believe that victims should, at the very least, have choices when it comes to asserting their legal rights against the person or the company uh, that victimized them. And so we provide victims with legal choices, which include filing a lawsuit or the possibility of entering into a settlement which avoids their having to file a lawsuit and litigating their case publicly for years. Lawsuits often only increase the suffering of victims, and many victims choose to protect their privacy, and they want to enter into a confidential settlement to avoid having to file a public lawsuit. And also, uh, defendants often refuse to enter into any settlement unless it is confidential. So I always present my clients with all the benefits and the risks of each of their legal options so that they can make an informed decision and choice as to what they believe is in their best interest. We do not tell our clients what to do. Okay. They decide. We believe that victims should have the right to choose whether or not they wish to enter into a voluntary, confidential settlement. And no one, including the press and politicians, should take that right and that choice away from victims. Right. Um, the, the other thing that I'm just going to ask about is your daughter, attorney Lisa Bloom, has also been accused of trying to ruin the reputation of accuser Rose McGowan. Can you address that? Uh, I don't have any comment uh, about accusations. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that you address that. And um, now that we have. I'm uh, glad that we have because obviously many people do not understand what a confidential settlement is. They don't understand it's voluntary and that, you know, that right. a rape victim and a sexual assault victim have the right to choose. They're not required to do it. Mm -hmm. It's totally up to them if they would rather you know, have a lawsuit that can go on for five years and take the risk of going to a jury um, that, you know, that's up to them. Yeah. It's not up to me. Right. And, and I understand that. And I, and I, yeah, and I understand the press wants to know everything, but people do have a right to privacy. Right. And if they don't want the world to know, and they don't want the New York times or the Washington post or anybody else to know that they were raped, then they should be supported in their choice. Right. Absolutely. Even though, you know, reporters would like them not to enter into a confidential settlement so the reporters, you know, can, you know, do their job, which is to know everything. And, of yes. course, they get paid, too, yes. to do their job. Uh, even though, you know, reporters would like them either to perhaps violate a confidential settlement or not enter it in the first place. Really, it should be the victim's choice, not the reporter's choice. Right. Yes, and this is legalese and not everybody understands it so yeah they don't understand it and and it's not and in the i interest don't fully <laughs> some reporters to have people understand it because you know sometimes reporters they would like to present themselves as the good people and we we want the press to do their job yeah but victims rights attorneys like myself we need to do our job too right and my job is to support my client in her choice whether it would be my choice or not is not the point i have to support their choice yeah. And that's my job is to be an advocate for my client, not for not for the reporter. And and you've been doing this for 43 yeah, years. I have for decades. So I, I you know, I trust that you know what you're doing. And again, I appreciate you addressing this. Um, Thank I know you that, very much. And my clients trust that I know what I'm doing. Right. And that's and, really the and most that's important. That's why they come to me. Yeah. That's why we're the leading women's rights law firm 
in the United States. That's why we've won hundreds of millions of dollars for victims. Right. Because we want predators to be accountable, and there are many ways to make them accountable. Yes. Um, so let's move on. And I want to talk to you about where, where we are, where women are in the era of Trump and where we're headed and the Republican war on women. So one of the specific things I want to talk about is like, for instance, there's been a lot of rollback on rights and abortion is one of the big issues. Um, for instance, it's legal, but in red states like Texas and Mississippi, it's become increasingly difficult to obtain an abortion. And, you know, states that used to have maybe 80 clinics now only have one, maybe two. What does that mean? Explain what does that mean for a woman who lives in a red state who uh, can't get access to an abortion? What does that mean for her? Devastating for her. And as the Trump administration uh, continues to restrict uh, with the assistance of some red state politicians, restrict a woman's right to choose legal, available affordable, uh, and safe abortions. Mm -hmm. Um, and instead, you know, force them into what I call compulsory motherhood Hmm. by limiting the access they would have to abortion clinics and licensed healthcare providers. What they're doing is they're forcing women to have abortions that may in some States be considered illegal back alley abortions. And I almost died from a back alley abortion Uh when I was in my twenties because uh, it was, you know, it, uh, because a licensed healthcare provider could not provide it unless you jump through a lot of hoops and, uh, or in some places, not at all. And so I almost died oh my God. from what was then an illegal abortion, not for me to have it, but for a health, licensed healthcare mm-hmm. provider to provide it. So the people who are hurt by this are generally, most people that are hurt are poor women, young mm-hmm. women, rural women. Mm-hmm. And, and often women of color. So this is this is the way it is because wealthy women will always be able to go to another state or another country yeah. to get a legal abortion. But those who don't have the funds sometimes even for bus fare to yeah. go to the only clinic which may be hundreds of miles away in their own state, they're not going to say – I mean some of them will just not have the abortion. Then, then it's mandatory motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um and some of them will say, okay, who can provide it in my neighborhood if I can get just a little money together? And that person may do it and then leave that young woman to die or that poor <sighs> woman because they got their money. This is not right to put the lives of women at risk the way that so many states are doing. And we are, you know, we understand that there are religious groups who don't think that women should be able to have a legal abortion, but then then they shouldn't have it themselves if that's their belief, but they should not impose their religious beliefs and make it into a political weapon, mm-hmm. which is used against others who don't have that same relig- religious belief. Yeah. And um, I'm tired of this war on women. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue to fight it, though, because you know, giving up is a luxury we can't afford. Yeah. We know whose lives are at risk. We know that, you know, a woman's womb is being used as a political weapon. And um, we're just not going to take this anymore because we know that our daughters matter and the lives of our sisters and our mothers and our aunts matter. And, you know, this is for me an extremely important issue. Uh, and because I know the cost of, 
illegal abortions. So many women in my era, before 1973, before Roe v. Wade, Kimberly, many died or were maimed by illegal abortions. We're just not going to stand for this to happen again. And that's why we have to fight the battle that we're fighting now. Let me ask you this. Do you think Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned? And if it is, um, what can we do as a nation to secure legal abortion? This effort to overturn, reverse Roe v. Wade, which was the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court decision in which the Supreme Court of the United States decided that abortion is a fundamental right because it's encompassed in the United States Constitution. It's part of, you know, our right to liberty, Mm -hmm. our right to privacy. It's a fundamental right. That it cannot be, you know, that abortion cannot be criminalized. It cannot be regulated even except at certain stages of our pregnancy. Uh, and, and so this, ever since day one when the Supreme Court made that decision, there have been extreme right-wing groups and religious organizations that have attempted to cut back on it, to reverse it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with all these ridiculous waiting periods and extra <laughs> yeah. burdens on clinic providers uh, to do things that are not medically necessary, but just to try to put them out of business. Uh, This is not going to end abortion. It just means there'll be illegal abortions. So what we have to do is we have to contact uh, our, our legislators, our elected officials, tell them we want legal, safe, affordable, available abortions, that if they don't vote for legal, safe, avoid, uh, you know, available abortions and affordable ones, that we're going to vote them out of office. Yeah. And then many of your listeners should also consider running for office <laughs> as pro-choice candidates. Yes. So it's not abortion or no abortion. It's choice or no choice. Right. And that's what it's always the key. It's just what I said before. Yeah. It should be the woman's choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not for me to tell her what to do with her body. It's her choice. It's not for anybody else to tell her that she has to be the means of reproduction um, because that's what someone else's religion believes. Mm-hmm. It has to be her choice. It may not be our choice, or it may be, but she gets the right to decide. Yeah. Uh, I am fully in agreement with you there. Um, I'm so glad. Well, maybe you should consider running for office, too. <laughs> oh, I don't know don't about that. Don't rule it out. You don't have to <laughs> okay. make a decision this minute. Okay. Unless you want to. Okay, time's up. What's your decision? <laughs> Uh, well, right now I do like what I'm doing because I get to okay, say what right. I want. Keep um, it as an option. I will. I absolutely right, will. Thank you. Um, you know, it's kind of easy to argue that women's rights are moving backwards because they are. Um, That's but, true. I agree. Yeah, well, but it's two steps backwards, one step, step forward. forward. Exactly. And so we saw. No, in 20... I, I, excuse me. Let me revise that. It's two steps forward, one step backwards. There you go. Um, That's the way it is. Yes. Yeah. In in 2018, we did see a record 117 women um, went to Congress. So that's a really great motivator. And I'm glad that you gave me and my listeners the recommendation to uh, run for office. And obviously a lot of women are doing that. And I think that's going to be key to um, a lot of different things. Um, Do you think, so you just answered the question that I was going to ask, which was two steps backwards and one step forward. So because I was going to say, which we changed to. Yes, exactly. Two steps forward <laughs> and one step backwards. That's true because you know what? Often it goes back because it's a reaction to the fact that we are moving forward. Yeah. 
It is. If we haven't done anything important, there will be no backlash. So we should take it as a sign that we have said or done or both right. something important. And that's why there's an attempt to move us back. Because the pressure is always on keeping things the way they are, yeah. maintaining the status quo, Kimberly. And when we want to move it forward because the status quo in general is not good for women and minorities, that's when we get backlash. Yeah. But we should take that as a medal of honor mm -hmm. that that they heard what we want and that they know that we are a threat. We are going <laughs> to win the change we wish to be in the world and we wish to see in the world. And so it just should strengthen us in our resolve to move forward, just like the Trump administration has done with all the lies, with yeah. all the restrictions, um, with all the cutbacks. This is just has mobilized women and minorities like we've never seen before. And as you mentioned, more women ran for office as a result. Mm -hmm. This is a reaction. And uh, and so out of something terrible and bad and dangerous comes something good sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the mobilization, millions of women marching for their rights each and every year. And in different cities and in, in every state, mm -hmm. in many countries around the world, we are being heard and we are going to seek and demand justice and, and equal rights under the law and, and the Equal Rights Amendment as well. Well, that's what, yeah, I definitely want to ask you about that. I, I'm an ERA advocate. I've, I was aware um, that we didn't have one in the Constitution in 2012. Uh, I, I think you might know Kamala Lopez, who... Um, yes, I do. Okay, well, she was the one... Of course I do, yes. Yes, she... she came up to me. I was speaking at a rally in Washington for We Are Woman, and she asked me, and I've said this a million times on my podcast, but anyway, she asked me if I thought men and women were equal, and I, I don't remember what I said, but she definitely um, informed me, and that was when I decided that I was going to become an activist, and I have been. In fact, um, I told Alyssa Milano about it, and I'm just so thrilled that she has been able to accomplish so much more with her huge platform. Um, and so maybe I want to ask you two, a couple of different questions, but the first one I want to focus on is, um, you know, if you, if you go to a post about this online, uh, the first argument you get is that we have the 14th Amendment and that's enough. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, can you explain why the 14th Amendment is not enough? Okay, well, cutting right through, there's only one place in the United States Constitution women were, are even mentioned, and that's in the 19th Amendment suffrage. Mm -hmm. So the right to vote for women, which, by the way, took us from 1848 to 1920 to mm -hmm. win the right to vote suffrage, the addition of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. In 1923, Alice Paul proposed the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment to guarantee women equal rights under the law. It's been from 1923 to now we're in 2019. We still have not one passed into the Equal Rights Amendment to the United States Constitution. Right. If the 14th Amendment were enough, we would not be seeking to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, to, which simply says that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Mm -hmm. And that's you know, the idea that some people think that women should still be second-class citizens and not enjoy equal rights, mm -hmm. that we still have to fight for that to be part of the Constitution is a measure of how far we still have to go as mm -hmm. women. And so, no, it's not enough. We need a guarantee of rights. We need – I, as a lawyer, need that in order to fully be armed 
to continue to fight for equal rights under the law for women. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. And we don't have, now, for example, uh, the United States Supreme Court gives strict scrutiny, we call it, or they call it, to racial discrimination, as well they should. Mm -hmm. And it is more difficult for government to justify any kind of action or laws that would discriminate on the, on the basis of race mm -hmm. because the court will give what they call strict scrutiny, which is the highest level of scrutiny to laws that discriminate on account of race. The court has not given strict scrutiny to laws that discriminate on account of gender, on mm -hmm. account of the sex of a person. Mm -hmm. It's much less scrutiny. The bottom line means that it's harder to strike down any laws that discriminate on against women because it's not the same level of scrutiny that the United States Supreme Court gives it. Mm -hmm. If, you know, the government can, you know, provide more of a justification it's less likely for those laws to be stri stricken. Mm -hmm. This is trying to translate legalese into plain English. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is we deserve to have equal rights and equal protection under the law. We don't have it now. It was heavily debated in the 70s. I was part of that debate with Philip Schlafly, mm -hmm. <laughs> with others, you know, who an extreme right wing people. Yeah. Uh, Mary Schmitz, I, you know, we were, I was battling and fighting that fight many decades ago and still am, but you know, this is something that we have to fight for. Nobody's going to give us our equal rights under the law. We have to fight the fight. For example, you're speaking out in support of it, which is important on your platform, Lisa Milana, Kamala Lopez, so many others, uh, Carolyn Maloney, mm -hmm. an elected official and others. But we haven't done enough. We haven't yeah. done what uh, what Mother Jones said, which is don't agonize, organize. Yeah. We have to organize more. We have to fight for these rights because no one's going to give it to us except if we win it. And also our daughters deserve it. So that is yeah. the primary legal tool we need. And I'm so glad that you're speaking out in support of it. And I hope your listeners will do so as well. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I was shocked to find out that it wasn't in the Constitution, and right. the more I learned, Most people are shocked. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and that's the problem, and because people don't know, people think we already have it, and um, or if they think, you know, they think we might have an equal rights amendment, and then they just think in terms of, you know, abortion rights or something like that, and 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 so they put them in separate categories. Um, but you know, I have a question about the. Maybe you can answer this. I, I spoke with this very fierce. ERA advocate who told me, and I'm not sure if this is true, but that lawyers don't want to take cases that are focused on the gender wage gap because they say they can't win. And the basic idea of that is they don't have an equal rights amendment to point to. And so if a woman has been getting less money than her male counterpoint or counterpart um, for the same job, a lawyer is going to say, I can't win this for you. Is that accurate? Uh, I, I don't know what other lawyers say. It's not something I would say. 
Well, I'm um, glad you wouldn't. <laughs> so all I can say is it really depends on the facts. Yeah. Uh, and as well as the law. And we look at each case individually. And, uh, you know, we do have a statute, which means a law, but not in a constitutional amendment, which, uh, you know, guarantees equal pay for equal work. Yeah. Um, but it's not in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So it, once it's in the Constitution, it is it's much harder for a legislature to do anything about it, to repeal the equal rights for mm-hmm. women. I mean, Congress could repeal any federal law that they have passed. We don't want them to have that ability to do that, to repeal the Equal Pay uh, Act. And then also there's the whole issue of equal, um, you know, equal pay for for work of comparable value. Mm -hmm. And if you look at my Netflix documentary, Seeing All Red, you'll see, you know, you'll see me debating some of that way back in the 70s. On a talk show, uh, you know, where I would where I was saying something to um, the fact that, you know, women who, you know, who are nurses should earn, you know, sometimes parking lot attendants mm-hmm. or garbage collectors earn more than nurses. Nurses wow. are life and death. They're in yeah. they're, they're, you know, often in life and death situations where they're trying to save somebody's life. And so why would, you know, the, Basically, a garbage collector and, you know, parking attendants, they're often male-dominated professions mm-hmm. or occupations. Why should they earn more than a female-dominated occupation like a nurse? Or a teacher. These are not the same jobs. Yeah. But maybe you could say they're comparable value, although in a way, a nurse is even more important, mm-hmm. of more value than the yeah. others. So, you know, and, and on this talk show that I was on, I think it was Morton Downey that's in, <laughs> in the Netflix documentary, you see – him saying, well, you know, uh, well, why don't the nurses become garbage collectors? Well, Ugh. we don't want nurses to become garbage collectors. We want them to be able to do their job as nurses. Yeah. But we want them to be able to be paid what they're worth. So these are the kinds of things that we're talking about. I don't think any woman should say, well, because we don't have an equal rights amendment, we can't do anything about being paid less. Go to a lawyer who fights for women and and their right to, not to be discriminated against in their salary or in any other way. Mm-hmm. And you may have recourse. You may have access to justice after all. All right. Well, this here's my last question, and it's kind of uh, a little bit long. So basically the deal was where, you know, we had, I think, 35 states in the 70s. It went up. You, you need 38 to, mm-hmm. to get it enshrined. We had 35. Phyllis Schlafly came along and ruined everything and all the GOPers who hated equal rights. And so then there was a deadline attached that eventually expired. Um, I mm-hmm. believe it expired. Was it 82? I think 83. Um, so I know that the 27th Amendment, which has to do with congressional pay, was written in ni- 1789. And it eventually mm-hmm. passed in 1992, and there was no deadline attached to that. But there was a deadline attached to the only amendment that's you know focuses on gender equality. Um, so I'm just curious, what's going to happen? So we get, we only need one more state now because in 2017 Nevada ratified, and then in 2018 Illinois ratified. So we just need that one more state. Let's say it's Virginia. Let's <sighs> say we get it. Then what happens? Well, I think what happens is, is, is twofold. One is that Congress should say that we repeal the deadline. Yeah. The, the deadline is of no force and effect. 
and that we will recognize the ratification of any states that ratified after the deadline. Um, another thing is we could wage a legal battle and have the courts decide whether that deadline that you mentioned, which appears to be the only deadline on a constitutional amendment, maybe there was one other, mm-hmm. um, you know, that the deadline itself was discriminatory. Yeah. Huh. That the deadline itself should be struck down. So, you know, I think both are important. If we have to start from square one, we'll start from square one. I'd rather not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because it took so many years to win all those states. But we should vote out of office anybody who voted against the Equal Rights Amendment. That is for sure, and let's replace them with women like you and (laughs) feminists who care about equal rights for women, and let's get out those who want to stop us from enjoying our equal rights and the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. Right on. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, well, there's an action plan. There's an action plan. Um, I know you got to go. I know you have a lot of interviews. Yeah. So, uh, again, thanks for coming on the show and congratulations to you for being inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kimberly. And right. Thanks to your listeners. All right. Have a great day and keep up the good fight. Okay. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, there you have it. That's the fourth interview I've done this week. First, we did Holland Taylor, then Kristen Johnston, then Tim Wise, and now Gloria Allred. That wraps up my podcast week. Uh, don't usually do this many podcasts in one week. It just happened to um, you know, work out that way. I was thinking that there was a possibility uh, Republican candidate Joe Walsh might come on this Thursday. I gave him the option. I haven't heard yet. You know, He did promise... He promised me that he'll be on the show, but we'll see. I'll believe it when I see it. I still want to interview him, although I, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to get exactly what I want out of him, out of him but um, which I won't even really talk about, other than the fact that I just want him to go after Trump, because uh, I don't see him doing that so much. I, I, I see him defending himself, and I see him saying that he's not a racist and everything. <laughs> okay. Um, but I don't see him going after Trump. And I really want to talk to him about that. I want to find out uh, what is what is his plan. So anyway, um, that's it for podcast week. Please follow me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And consider becoming a patron for the show. Please don't make me beg. Please, even though I beg every day that I do a podcast. Um, I'd really appreciate it if you're just like, hey, Kimberly, I support you. Here's a dollar. Here's three dollars. Here's five dollars. Whatever. You don't have to pay that much. Anyway, so that's it for me. I will see you next week when Steph is back and we're going to talk some shit about some shit. Take care, everyone.